Hello and welcome back to the How To Be Good podcast. As you can see and you'll hear, today unfortunately I'm on my own. Anchor has not been well of late and so was unable to to help me along with this one. So you're going to have to put up with my dulcet tones, unfortunately. However, this episode that we've got coming up for you is, it's a really big thing. So it's with Stop Ecocide International. Now, the word ecocide has been bounded about quite a lot lately. And it seems to be something that more and more people are starting to talk about. However, this person, Jojo Mater, who is one of the key founders of, of this uh, Stop, uh, Stop Ecocide International, we speak to her and we talk about how big the ramifications of this could be. If ecocide is passed as a law, it has huge impact, massive impact globally. So let's get to it. Let's listen to Jojo Mater and unfortunately just only me. Hello and welcome to the How To Be Good podcast. Today I am with Jojo Mehta, who is the chief executive and founder of Stop Ecocide International. Hello and how are you? I'm really well. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for joining us. So before uh, we go and talk too much uh, early on about Ecocide, which I really do want to, to understand, it's such a huge thing. I want to understand how how you got involved. How how did it all start from you for for your side of things? That's um, yeah. Going back a few years, um, I came to this from the environmental campaigning side of things. So I was very involved in the anti fracking community in the UK. Yeah. Um, so a community which I, I know is is very live. Also, it has been in in Australia as well. We've been very inspired yeah, by some of the things that the community has achieved, as well as obviously yeah. watching with horror as <laughs> as, the, as the as the industry um, you know makes its way in on, on your continent which is which is really um yeah yeah disturbing. i think they gave ha- license to 1900 new fracking sites <laughs> just last month which is horrendous oh my- but anyway oh I, I, I digress oh my goodness yeah. but, but this is and, and 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 actually in the uk it was a, a battle of many years to reach the stage mm-hmm. that we're at now which is a kind of a, a sort of a moratorium i guess yes um you know there's nothing currently going on and, that, and a lot of that was very much di- down to you know direct community action so yeah. um you know it's a definitely um i suppose a success story of, of a sort and and one that was also inspired by for example you know things like the bentley effect and yeah and and so on in, in Australia. Um, and I actually first encountered Polly Higgins, who mm. was a UK uh, barrister and legal pioneer, really, who became one of my dearest friends. Um, and her, her name is probably most associated with this whole concept of ecocide, as she sort of really brought it back into the public domain within the last sort of decade or so. She's sadly no longer with us. She actually passed away after a short, very aggressive cancer uh, in 2019. Oh, but we met in the context of that uh, work around fracking because she was she moved to our area 
in which is mm-hmm. and, and I live in the beautiful west of England in the Cotswolds um, in a small very, town very called nice. Stroud which nice. is actually uh, gaining a certain uh, amount of uh, reputation because it's not only the sort of um, you know the birthplace of the Stop Ecoside movement um, as, you know, as it is now but also uh, of Extinction Rebellion um, yes. which was also born here so um, but yeah so Polly was moving to this area back in 2014 I believe and she was working at the time on putting materials together around a potential case on fracking and mm-hmm. some mutual friends put us in touch and they said you know you knew need to speak to Jojo about this because she knows all about this so um, we met and it was one of those kind of kindred spirit moments um, you know within kind of half an hour of sort of you know talking about working together and sharing research and so on there was this kind of moment of you really work like I do. There was a kind of think fast, talk fast, act fast. <laughs> you know, it was, a, <laughs> it was, it was, it was an amazing moment. Um, and I guess we, I mean, we really worked together ever, ever since then. And what we collaborated on was actually launching a public facing campaign to support the work around criminalizing serious harm to nature and that was something that whole discussion was something that Polly had already dedicated several years to when we met Um, and I I mean I suppose I first encountered that work in the form of I think an article back in 2011 or 2012 and I remember reading about this idea of criminalizing ecocide and thinking well that's kind of obvious isn't it I mean that's the biggest game Mm. in town you know you go to the guys that are causing all the damage you say sorry you're not allowed to do that anymore um (laughs) so so it's it's (laughs) such a huge thing I think this is I've spoken to a few people about it just recently and they were unaware as such but then like you it was very much that's what that's so obvious why 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 aren't we there why hasn't it been done already which obviously leads to a huge question well absolutely i mean it is it, it is one of those things that when you speak to somebody about it one on one you know i mean i've yet to encounter anybody in a one to one conversation who hmm. doesn't think it's a good idea to make you decide a crime yeah, well, you know and as you say they? yeah and a lot of people are you know like well i didn't you know isn't this a crime already um yes. so you know that there is a kind of no brainer quality to it and on that you know on that score it does sometimes feel like the easiest campaign in the world because <laughs> you know <laughs> we rarely have to persuade anybody very hard but yes. but but what the where the it, the questions always come is, you know, the how, the what exactly, the, you know, all of those kinds of things. So, yeah. you know, and, and of course it's, you know, it's a huge thing. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the aim specifically of our, of our campaign is to tackle this at the international level to yeah. effectively kind of activate this law by engaging, you know, whether it's grassroots, uh, politicians, diplomats, NGOs, you know, across the spectrum in support of making this an international crime at the International yeah. Criminal Court. Um, and, I mean, there are, there are a few reasons for aiming for that particular route. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm happy to go into those now, or if you've got anything else that you want to sort of look at in more no, general I, terms, I'm, I can do that. I, I'm really keen to, to understand that, because obviously there's, what, there's, there's currently four international crimes, and this would be the fifth. And obviously... Most people, I guess, are aware of of war crimes. That seems to be have the most uh, news and coverage and most knowledge through the people that I've spoken to before. But if you could describe what would be the key benefit, obviously it's probably a bad word, what would be the, the, the biggest impact of having this as an international crime? I think, um, I mean, ultimately, we believe that... Um, 
in a sense, potentially the most long-term, most important potential impact of criminalizing serious harm to nature at the international level is actually a normative one. So mm -hmm. it's this, this, this concept that, um, or it's a sense, if you like, that criminal law um, in our kind of global paradigm that is currently dominant, so it's the kind of one that's come through the Western canon, if you like, yeah. um, is that we kind of use criminal law to draw moral lines. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, for example, you're not going to go to a government and say, can I have a permit to, you know, kill a few hundred people for my next business? I mean, mm -hmm. you're just not going to do that. It's not even going to enter your head. It's so accepted yeah. that, that, you know, killing people is a taboo and it's, it's not just a criminal, but it's also morally wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, and those crimes that already exist at the international level. So those are currently genocide crimes against humanity, war crimes, and more recently added, the crime of aggression. You know, mm -hmm. all of those have that, you know, kind of very obvious sort of moral uh, aspect to them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, a kind of like the sort of ultimate expression of what, you know, at the more sort of you know singular level is something like murder, for example, um, mm. uh, or torture. But um, with ecocide, with damage to the natural world, we don't yet put it in that bracket. We don't, you know, you can go to a government and ask for a permit to, you know, frack or to drill for yeah. oil and gas or to, you know, engage in industrial fishing in, of, of, you know, certain kinds of industrial fishing, destroy whole swathes of the seabed. You know, there are mm -hmm. kind of, we effectively license this kind of destruction rather than forbidding yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and of course, there is always the, the fact that, you know, any human activity, you know, the production of food, you know, transport, all of these things often involves some kind of compromise of the environment. I mean, we simply wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to, you know, society would not be yeah. functional as it is without some of that happening. So it's a question of identifying where, you know, where that line is drawn and the, the introducing as a kind of almost as a moral concept, serious harm to the environment is actually bad and wrong per se. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just a question of, you know, how that might impact a certain group of people, although that has, uh, you know, that is ultimately included in that as well. But, but at the moment, in most of our law focuses on property and on damaged people. There is, of course, an environmental a body of environmental law that has been built up, but relatively recently over the last three to four decades. Mm -hmm. But it's still not taken anything like as seriously as some other aspects of law. And we, yeah. we, we encounter this quite a lot in, in our sort of position as kind of dealing with the public narrative and, and people com communicating with us from various different kind of areas, walks of life and in, in NGOs and activists and so on. We often hear, you know, this activity is already, strictly speaking, illegal, this destructive activity in a given situation, for example, but it's not being enforced. And, yeah. you know, companies might be receiving a slap on the wrist, might, might be receiving a fine. But this sense that serious destruction is actually kind of taboo is just not there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so there's there's a way that making ecocide an international crime has the potential to start shifting that. You know, if you're mm -hmm. going to put it alongside genocide, then you're kind of saying, destruction of the environment at a serious level is as bad as yeah. destruction of people yeah exactly and and the, the the funny thing is is that with this severe and and very prevalent destruction of the planet and our environment the the result is often early death it is it is illnesses it is and on, that's on the human level, level let alone the 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 animals and the wildlife and everything else like that, that that's that's completely obliterated by what we do 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it comes down to it, the ultimate effect is hugely, it hugely impacts humans mm-hmm. and, and ultimately impacts kind of civilization as we know it. You yeah. know, if we, if we all kind of already know, and particularly given the IPCC report that came out last week, absolutely. you know, yeah. just having that said at such a stark, you know, with such stark clarity, um, yeah. you know, what, what obviously some scientists have been telling us for some time. Um, but, but just making it that, that clear and that obvious. It's very clear that, that the, you know, the impacts on, on, on human life are, are, are very severe. But I think what, what, um, I mean, it was interesting because, um, as, as you no doubt know, and it'd be great to, for your listeners to understand, one of the things that our foundation did recently was to convene a panel of top international criminal lawyers and environmental lawyers. Yeah. Um, actually all come from different backgrounds, but different parts of the world as well. Very geographically diverse and, and, and diverse in terms of backgrounds and genders as well. So really, um, really credible uh, panel of top lawyers to look at legally defining ecocide. Because yes. one of the things we've been asked so many times over the years is what exactly do you mean by that? You know, what is yeah. and what isn't ecocide? Um, and so having an independent panel work on that for a number of months and come up with a definition has been a sort of core part of that journey. Um, and, you know, one of the things that they debated right at the beginning was, you know, is, are we looking at adapting, say, crimes against humanity to include an environmental yeah. element, or are we looking at a standalone crime? And that w- it actually wasn't too difficult a, a conversation in that group. Mm-hmm. Everyone was clear that actually what was needed here was a standalone crime because yeah. you had to not be depending on harm to humans in order to criminalize damage to nature. Um, yep. And, you know, the, the fact that, that, that the damage to nature ultimately would also create damage to humans is, it, it remains the case, but, but it, it, it enabled a, a bit of a more ecocentric perspective to come in. And again, mm-hmm. this kind of reflects a kind of a, um, a move towards a rebalancing because you know, again, in our, in the kind of Western thinking tradition, there's this deeply embedded uh, sense of separation from nature. Yeah. It's very yeah. deeply embedded. And it goes right back to Plato, runs through the Catholic Church, you know, spirit versus body. You know, you can just go straight through to the Enlightenment with kind of reason versus nature. Yeah. You know, it, it, that duality is there the whole way through. So yeah. it's kind of unsurprising in a way that we've ended up with an economy that functions the way it does and treats yeah. nature as this kind of, you know, resource to extract. Yeah. But but I think what what this also does what what the ecocide conversation also does um, is it, it it gives a bit of a reality check on that because mm-hmm. you know we all know that you cannot extract uh, you know unlimited resources from a finite reserve it Absolutely. just it just doesn't yeah. work so so there's a way in which this is also a kind of a reality check. So what if it's if it's able to be de- um, said in, in 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 brief what is the definition that that was that was come or that came to you by all the people that that, that helped to, to to come up with this legal definition yeah it's actually it's surprisingly easy to 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 convey because one of the beauties of it was that the consensus that they arrived at was actually hugely concise um mm-hmm. and and so what they defined ecocide as is um unlawful or wanton acts committed with knowledge that there's a substantial likelihood that either that that severe and either widespread or long term damage to the environment will be caused by those acts, and that's it. it that's you know, it. I mean, there, there's then yeah. an explanatory paragraph about what is intended by severe, what yeah. is intended by widespread, etc. But that core definition is really quite concise, and that's and, fantastic. Yeah, it's it, it's, it's, it's 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 very good because everybody can get it when it's that 
straightforward and concise. There's there's no there's no room for for manoeuvre, which is good. <laughs> I think that's very important because, I mean, and, and also you can contrast it with um, environmental regulation, which is often very detailed and very yes. kind of precise about numbers. And that's something that the drafting panel avoided completely because mm-hmm. you 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 need to be able to, and I mean, this is often the case with criminal law. I mean, if you think about it, if you get, I know, beaten up on the street, you know, what, what happens in terms of the court deciding whether that's grievous bodily harm, actual bodily harm, you know, attempted murder, you know, it yeah. doesn't depend on the exact number of bruises it depends yeah. on the context on the intent on you know the, the the surrounding kind of reasonable you know evidence of where that reasonably points to so i, I think you know the fact that that, that was avoided uh, you know that putting too much precision in there was avoided is actually is in mm-hmm. keeping with the criminal law approach generally but it also enables um you know judges to potentially take in context you know a, mm-hmm. a, a, a particular case um I think I think what's what's probably important is to kind of grasp that there are two thresholds within that definition. Okay. And that's actually really important for how that lands in the political arena, but mm-hmm. also how it lands with all of those people who are working to improve environmental law and best practice and all of those things from activists to NGOs to scientists and so on. And, and that's that, you know, you have this one threshold, which is, uh, you know, you, the act has to be likely to cause this severe damage, severe and either widespread or long term. And the other threshold is that it, the act has to be unlawful or wanton. Now, mm-hmm. if it's unlawful, clearly, you know, there's already a problem. You know, you're breaching yeah. a regulation or you're, you know, there's, there's something. And But this takes it to another level. It's saying that, you know, if what you're doing is unlawful and likely to create all this harm, you're actually potentially um, committing an international crime. So what mm-hmm. that does is it, it strengthens the existing edifice of environmental law and yeah. gives it a kind of a, a more serious sort of foundation, if you like. Um, but it also enables the law to kind of um, mesh in with existing laws, which can vary from country to country, obviously. Mm-hmm. So something that's lawful in one country may not necessarily be lawful in another. Um, yeah. And politically, that's that's important because what you're not doing is you're not jumping in and just sort of jumping on everybody's toes and saying, well, whatever you said before, this is now illegal, yeah. um, which, of course, is what I went, went in there thinking would be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm sure that there are plenty of people would, out there that would, would want nice. to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but at the same time, what it does is it also empowers all of those people who are working to improve regulation and impl- improve the law. Because as that progresses, and it's really important that those, you know, that 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 expertise, that on the ground knowledge, and all of that is 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 um, constantly pulled forward, if you like, by this definition. Because mm-hmm. what it's saying is that everything that you can work to improve is going to be backed up by this law as you imp- as as the law improves and as our perception around, you know, best practice to, to, in, in relation to our, you know, our interactions with nature, as that evolves, this law will become more effective and stricter and better yeah. over time. So that is yeah. actually really important. And then, of course, the wanton aspect catches those cases where something may be legal but actually the effects are disproportionate as yeah. in it's the disproportionately nasty what's being done. Um, yeah. So, um, and that's where it, it kind of brings in a bit of a balancing act because that's kind of interesting. Criminal law tends to be very cut and dried. Environmental mm-hmm. law tends to be quite, 
a bit amorphous and involved kind of lots of principles and not too many strict prohibitions. Because, of course, there's always this balancing between, you know, what are the social and economic benefits and, you know, what are the what are the downsides? And it's when you're then looking at I mean, you could be looking, for example, in developing countries that might not have the same strictness of environmental regulation, but where you could potentially nevertheless point to a case and say, well, look, the effects you're creating here are wildly out of proportion to the benefits that, that are going to be gained mm-hmm. by the community or by the, you know, by society. Um, yeah. And that's where that aspect comes in. And I think what's been amazing about that um, definition is it really seems to have kind of hit a sweet spot in terms of a balance between you know, genuine protection from the worst harms and a kind of a a kind of contextual flexibility within existing legal frameworks. And that has, I believe, led to the really quite positive response that we've had both in the press, but also at the political level. Um, So, you know, it's, it's actually seems to have landed quite well as a starting point for this, you know, for this initiative at the international level. So that's very encouraging. Absolutely. So, with with the countries or some of the countries um wanting to to sign up to this there's obviously you you, you have to get is it two-thirds or something like I'm, i i probably got it wrong two-thirds of the countries to have signed up to before it could get ratified or something like that you would know that way better than me i'm, I'm just trying to remember some of the some of the research but how many countries are looking like they are going to sign up to this that, that it's going to be real and tangible this is really exciting, actually, at the moment to be watching this. I mean, it, it, this, it, you know, in a way, this initiative is still near its beginnings. Mm-hmm. But in over the last sort of 18 months, what we've seen is we, we, there are now 14 countries um, that are members of the, the International Criminal Court that are discussing this uh, in some way, you know, at mm-hmm. parliamentary or government level, um, yeah. which which is has moved from kind of zero, <laughs> pretty much, um, yeah. and uh, which which is amazing. Um, the, the process is effectively that um, a state or a group of states, and we would aim for the the latter, a small, small mm-hmm. potentially a small group of states, um, can propose an amendment to the Rome Statute, which is the governing yeah. document of the International yeah. Criminal Court. Um, and then, it, you know, a simple majority can kind of put it on the table. And at that point, then you enter into kind of negotiation discussion, which can take some time. And then you need, as as you said, you need um, two thirds of member states of the International Criminal Court to be behind it in order for it to be adopted, at least two thirds. Um, and that means currently that's 82 states, okay. um, which sounds like a lot. But given the speed of this, you know, the growth of this conversation, we mm. don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that we're looking at a timeline of around four to five years, potentially, to get this to wow. the stage where countries can begin to ratify yeah. it. Um, I mean, the other thing to say is that as with all diplomatic work, what you see publicly is not necessarily where things are at, because, of yeah. course, we can't say um, until a state is talking about it publicly, we can't say they're talking about it because that would be Absolutely. insane and it would totally scupper anything that we say, yeah. <laughs> the conversations. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, what you can kind of be assured of is that 
if there are that many countries talking about it publicly, there's a whole bunch more um, interested in this conversation. So, you know, this is something that is progressing quite fast. The formal stages have not been entered into yet. We think that's still a little premature. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that said, my goodness, we didn't expect, for example, the UK upper chamber to be discussing ecocide, which it did last month. You know, if you'd have asked us a year ago, that would have felt so pie in the sky. We wouldn't have even (laughs) gone there. So, you know, things are are, are definitely... accelerating so you know one never knows but we would certainly we would love to see a small group of countries ready by next year potentially to move this forward at the international chronicle what is really um, encouraging actually is that what we're finding in these conversations is that even people that we might think of as not necessarily likely to want to support it are nonetheless seeing it as something that's inevitably on its way um, it's very hard to go actually no i don't agree with that publicly sure i don't know how somebody <laughs> exactly. could publicly go well that's a daft idea i'm not going to follow that yeah, it, yeah it's kind of political suicide surely yeah well this is this is what this really works in the favor of of of, of i mean there's a couple of things here that really work in the favor of this initiative so uh one is exactly what you say people you know i mean this is interesting because I, I got asked actually at a talk i gave um not long ago you know what do you think about all this awful greenwashing that's going on i said okay i'm going to say something really controversial here i love greenwashing why do i love greenwashing because uh, you know the big oil and gas companies for example have spent the last 20 to 30 years putting across the idea that they're actually green are they now going to say no ecocide's a really bad idea no that would destroy 20 years of pr of course they're not going to do that and actually bp's logo would be ruined exactly exactly (laughs) so you know in a way it works in the favor of you know, that's moving this forward, that people are just going to look a bit crap if they, you know, if they're um, objecting to this in public. And I mean, I don't think we're quite at that point with governments yet, but we're clearly verging on it, you know, getting to the point where actually, you know, governments are actually just going to be embarrassed to say Mm -hmm. that they think this is a bad idea. Absolutely. Um, And that's, that's a really, that's a nice place to be. That's a nice place to be. Yeah. Yeah. So taking it further, let's, let's, Let's look into hopefully the not too distant future and it's gone through, it's ratified. What would be, I guess, the, the, the general prosecution process and who would, would that be? Because uh, uh, under war crimes and things like that, and that's kind of the reference at the moment and not some, perhaps not the best one, but you wouldn't be going and prosecuting, let's if we were to talk about um, the war in, with, with Germany and things like that, you wouldn't be going and prosecuting every person that was putting people onto a train and every person that you'd be going for the heads of and the people that knew. Is it exactly the same type of setup? Yeah, it's exactly the same. So just as with, as as you implied, as with genocide, you wouldn't be prosecuting foot soldiers. You'd be prosecuting the controlling minds. So the generals, you know, those at the top. The same would be the case with ecocide. So you would not be, for example, prosecuting someone for, you know, driving a fossil fuel car. Um, You might, you might (laughs) potentially be prosecuting a government official who is at the key decision-making point of signing in, in, in into into being a policy which they know is going mm-hmm. to create a certain yeah. level of um, environmental destruction or, cl- or climate disruption, for example. I mean, that, that could that yeah. could, could arise. Um, you know, or for example, you might be looking at somebody, you know, a, a company official who mm-hmm. has given the okay to a situation that, you know, le- either leads to an industrial 
disaster like, I don't know, Fukushima or Deepwater Horizon, where there was either safety protocols or design recommendations that weren't followed. As in, at some point, somebody said, no, we're not going to do that, even though we know that we're going to make it. So, you know, those kinds of things. So, so, so that's, that's what you're ultimately aiming at. And it is individuals. So you're Mm -hmm. not aiming at corporations. You're not aiming at governments. You're aiming at people who are making decisions. And actually, that's really important. It's really important because, um, you know, there's already, in fact, there was a a Colorado University study that sort of showed, uh, you know, almost exactly this, that when you change regulation, you don't really see... um, changes in behavior what you see is changes in budgeting um yeah. or, or you know effectively oh we might be or, or, might... or insurance protocols yeah, yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> exactly um whereas when you actually start employing criminal law you start to see behavioral change because when somebody has actually got to think about their own personal freedom being on the line mm-hmm. you know if they make a certain decision or that goes the wrong way then they're going to think much more carefully about that it seriously concentrates the mind and and there's yeah. also a way in which i mean I found this particularly interesting. I was on a on a financial podcast recently, and the 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 interviewer just kept trying to somehow get me to identify exactly where that fine line was that a company <laughs> could approach but not quite go over. But actually, when you're talking about individual criminal responsibility, you're not talking about that kind of attitude because no yeah. per, no 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 decision maker is going to sit there and go, how can I almost commit genocide, but not quite, you know, exactly. it just, you're just yeah. not going to go there because you don't want to yeah. be in the wrong, you know, so, so, you know, although the exact line, you know, is contextual and maybe so, but you're just not going to approach it because, mm-hmm. y- you know, you don't want to be in that position. So yeah. that's the aim of, 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 of this kind of individual criminalization, if you like, is, is creating that kind of concentration of the, the, the mind in terms of deterrence. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess two parts to this question. So we would look and I could easily point out a number of people around the world right now and and political leaders as well that I would say potentially falls on that area, being kind. Um, So firstly, would that individual person, let's say it was a head of state um, Mm -hmm. that said, I don't care what the evidence says. I don't care what damage it's going to do. I'm going to give license to these new coal mines, these new gas mines. I'm going to frack the hell out of this place. And (laughs) that was very close to saying something else. And the chips fall where they may. Is that person then individually um, potentially going to be prosecuted? I think the, the 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 whole sense is is precisely that of uh, having somebody who's in the position to make those decisions, and it has to be once this law is in place. Let's bear in mind that the criminal law is, isn't retroactive. Okay, it would so, be great if it was uh, retrospective, yeah, well, but I know it can't be. <laughs> I know. I mean, there's, 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 you know, one could say that, but then of course that way kind of crazy fascistic dictatorship lies as well. So um, in terms of in a sort of rule of law term, um, but. Effectively, what you want is for somebody to be saying, is this actual, is this, you know, is this decision, is the knowledge there to show that this decision I'm going to make, you know, is substantially likely to cause that harm? In which case, you yeah. know, potentially, yes, that could be, that could be an, uh, a context for, for any societal prospect. However, let's also um, realize that this is, I mean, there's often a strong focus around what will happen when this is in place. Mm-hmm. And actually, 
we don't want, I mean, you know, in our ideal world, nobody's in that dock and nobody's in that dock because everybody's seen it coming. And actually this it's become an incentive or a safety guardrail and a guidance system to take us all in a new direction. Because, you know, this is not about ultimately, you know, much as having come from the activist background myself, you know, I might have enjoyed or wanted to give you a short list of people to demonize and and punish. (laughs) You know, ultimately it's not about that because, you know, regardless of the considerable inequalities, you know, insane inequalities that exist economically and in terms of, you know, standard living and all of those things uh, in different parts of the world, we are ultimately all on this one planet. Yeah. So in one way, you could say we are all on this one boat. And if you point to the other end of the boat, you know, which might be a different, you know, might be a company or it might be a country and you say, well, the leaks at your end <laughs> doesn't really work. So exactly. the whole point of, it, it, I mean, for us anyway, one of the main points of aiming for something at the international level that is going to take time, but it's going to bring everybody with you or, in, you know, enough of the world to make it a really, you know, key sort of shift into a new direction. Part of the whole point is, is having that time. Even obviously, we don't want it to be too long because there isn't too long to act yeah. around this. And, and clearly, the goodwill and the ambition that have taken us this far are not enough. Um, but you know, there needs to be some time. There needs to be some time in order for you know the corporate world, for you know the pol- political players to catch up. And it is always the p- politicians that are the laggards. You know, the, yeah. actually, business will move quite fast if you give it the right yes. steer. Um, exactly. You know, so it's all about creating that expectation that and, and actually, I would say it's already approaching that kind of certainty that something like this is on the way. Um, yeah. And how do we approach that in the most constructive way? And, and you know, I like to think of it as, as actually almost you know, not just a stick, but also a carrot because, yeah. um, and, and, you know, following the, the food metaphor, um, <laughs> we, we had this cookery program in the UK that I like to use as an example. It was, I mean, it was really big in the nineties. It was called Ready, Steady, Cook. Oh, yes. And, I remember well, that. Do, do you remember it? And, you know, <laughs> yes. what would happen is, you know, these chefs would go on and they'd be given this kind of, you'd have a time limit and a set of unexpected ingredients. Um, and you know, you then had to make a beautiful dish in that time. And, and that's the attitude that we want people to be taking to this. You know, yes, when it comes to it, there will be prosecutions. There's no doubt that once Mm -hmm. this law is in place, but what we want is for everybody to be looking at that as a kind of a safety rail and a parameter and saying, well, actually we can't be continuing to do those activities. We already know this. And so having a rule in place that levels the playing field, that, that, that means that if we do the right thing, if we do the beautiful thing, we are not going to be disadvantaged in relation Mm -hmm. to, you know, others who want to carry on with the old dirty protocol, you know, ways of doing things, you know, then that actually gives those people a chance to be creative and innovative. And, you know, I myself spent time as an entrepreneur and, you know, there's nothing like a clear parameter Mm -hmm. for unleashing the creativity, you know, and and the same is true of, I mean, good God, I mean, the same is true of poetry. You know, you say write a sonnet, that kind of, okay, I've got this form and I need to create this beautiful thing within this form, you know, and, and so there's something about that approach that, um, that I think is going to be really important in this, that's going to enable us to kind of bring the whole world with this, yeah. you know. Absolutely. No, I, I I trained as an architect and worked as, and still work as an architect every now and again. And I can completely understand what you mean about the parameters. Um, the biggest trouble I ever had with projects were the ones that were way too open-ended. Yeah. And so having those parameters gives you the guideline, gives you the work and gives the best results. So, uh, yeah, I'm completely with you on that. And I think that's that's the best way forward. On your website, uh, I had a look at, okay, what could be the benefits 
of of the law being passed and things like that. And a number of things it, it could be that that some things are classified as uh, ecocide. So it could be industrial fishing or um, plastic pollution or deforestation, uh, what mineral extraction, palm oil extraction, and many many others. What I'm trying to understand is that there is going to be a degree where this is going to have to continue in many areas and yes there's many areas we can we can do vastly better and not have to you know deforestation and so forth but how do, how does it how is it defined what's ecocide is it the wanton destruction or harm to 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 uh, is how how is how is that going to be how is that balance um, worked out yeah yeah i mean i th- i think that what you're going to be looking at i mean firstly because it's at the international level you are going to be looking at the most serious cases of harm yes so it's not going to include everything mm-hmm. um and what we believe it will encourage is the obviously for what might be termed a, a lesser degree of of environmental destruction will become better regulated over time and 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 actually um tighten that gap if you like um but initially what you're looking at is the most sort of severe cases that are you know they're either transboundary or they go beyond a certain geographic area or they affect an entire species or an entire ecosystem or a large number of human beings those are the kinds of elements that have been detailed in in that definition as um as sort of fitting that term of widespread, for example. And with severe, you're also looking at potential, for example, serious cultural harm as a result Mm -hmm. of environmental damage. And that's really important because that really brings in the respect for indigenous cultures, um, you know, and the, the, the cultural and spiritual approach to land and to home, if you like. And I think, I think the home um, side of this is very interesting as well, because actually ecocide as a word etymologically means mm. to kill one's home. Um, oh, right. and, okay. and so there's something about kind of perceiving the planet as our home, but also, mm-hmm. you know, our landscapes in which we are rooted as, you know, where we live as also home and, and, and recognizing that, and, and it's, this is where it really kind of brings in the kind of social and, and social and racial justice and climate justice side of things, because where the, with the environmental destruction that's going on may not be happening to our personal home, but mm-hmm. it's still happening to the home landscapes of those in other countries, um, you know, where, where the, the extractive activity potentially is going on. Um, yeah. And also there's also this, this, this sort of ironic um, situation where um, the, well, it's, just, I mean, it's just the truth. I mean, in the sense that, that you know, 80% of the world's greatest biodiversity is in areas that are, you know, um, that are gar- that w- where the indigenous communities are, are guardians of that of that land, yeah. if you like, or of that that way of life. So, so there's something about uh, bringing in that cultural aspect that is very important. Yeah. And there's also something about, actually, and this is interesting, I think, something about um, inserting ecocide into the Rome Statute, which is a document that governs the International Criminal Court, which itself could be argued to be an expression of colonial mm-hmm. domination on one level. You know, it's set in Western Europe. Um, you know, those who've been prosecuted mostly been yeah. African warlords, whatever. Um, but what you actually looking at with ecocide is that the decisions that lead to the ecocidal activity are actually mostly taken in the wealthy north. So mm-hmm. you're potentially looking at a certain rebalancing there and a redressing of who's yeah. being targeted. Yeah. Um, and you're also looking at a situation where 
the wealthy North has the financial wherewithal and the influential wherewithal to be turning into a new, you know, to be shifting towards a new direction that's actually positive. Mm. I mean, there's mm. an example of an oil company in, I think it was Norway. I must, I must go and look up again the name of the company, but they, they, they shifted from being one of the biggest oil and gas producers to being one of the biggest renewable energy producers in, uh, in, in the sense that, you know, there was an actual active decision. You know, I mean, you've yep. got all of that infrastructure there. You've got all of the relationships there. You're an energy producer. It's like, okay, just produce your energy differently. Yeah. Um, and similarly, we could be looking at, for example, you know, aid that is going to developing countries actually specifically supporting transition technology, yeah. transition yeah. approaches and policies. And this law could be an, you know, really supportive factor in yeah. in that. So so I do think that there are some really potentially interesting aspects that you know cross over into the kind of social and, and climate justice mm. side of side of things as well. Absolutely. It's it's incredibly wide reaching as to as to how far this could go. Um as I said at the start, it's huge. It really is huge how big <laughs> this could be and what an enormous effect this could have. Mm. How how are you finding the reaction of I guess the the our favorite friends at the fossil fuel lobbies and, and industrial agriculture and 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 industrial fishing uh, have they kept reasonably quiet simply because they wouldn't dare say no I'm not into that or I think I think I mean there, there's certainly been no public objections mm. um uh, and and I think that is very much for that reason I mean yeah. <laughs> I remember when I when I I got involved with the uh, campaign. I mean, years ago, before I got in, into the the, the eco side side of things, um, against a local um, incinerator. Now, incineration is one of these things that's just starting to get a, a bit of airtime now as to how polluting it actually is yeah. and how much it supports that kind of extractive linear economy. Um, and at the time, there was relatively little research around that, but it was, you know, um, and. I remember actually talking with, with Polly, who was, who was still around then, and we were just starting to work together. She said, you know what? You don't have to worry about those companies actually coming out publicly against you because they will be talking to their lawyers and their lawyers will be saying, do not touch her with a barge pole because anything, <laughs> anything you say will be made a massive meal of in the media. Um, yep. And so, you know, that's exactly the situation writ large that we have now. Mm. Um, yep. so, so there's that side of it. However, I mean, and we haven't actually had any specific conversations around the um, the fishing industry, which is one of the ones you brought up. But mm. um, I think there's an interesting, I mean, for example, in agriculture, I mean, there is an interesting um, move towards, um, I mean, you know, there's still obviously going to be these really huge companies that are into this kind of monocropping and so on. But yeah. I, I certainly can, from speaking from the UK perspective, the whole concept of regenerative agriculture is actually starting to, be listened to even in the more conventional farming world mm -hmm. because it simply produces better results yeah. um you know and and so i think this is very interesting i think i think sort of in parallel with this legal discussion we're also seeing some really kind of quite positive things emerging that don't yet have the traction that they could have if this parameter was in place and i think mm -hmm. that's 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 going to be a factor as well but we we are actually seeing um the approach of sort of, I say new techniques, but in some ways, some of them are age old techniques, but um, that are potentially more person intensive, which actually mm -hmm. is great for jobs, really great yeah. for jobs, um, and, but also better for the land and, and ultimately more productive. So, yeah. and I think it's interesting, for example, that if you look back to, I think it's 2016, there was a UN food and farming report uh, that came out. I think the, is it the mm -hmm. FAO? Uh, anyway, um, 
their conclusion was that, yes, we actually can feed 9 billion people on this planet. But if we're going to do that, the way to do it is by farming locally with local techniques that are suited to local landscapes, which actually sounds to be not a million miles from the permaculture approach. You know, so, you know, those, those, those um that sort of body of knowledge is already there um mm-hmm. and is beginning to to sort of be discussed in you know in with more you know at the more mainstream end of things i mean you know all of this of course is not happening fast enough and that's one of the things that you know we see this law is potentially doing is accelerating all of that. yeah absolutely <laughs> um but yeah so so i think that um there is you know there are transformative things happening um mm-hmm. ac- across industry but you know they're not happening from the center it's always the case they're happening from yeah. the margins and they're gradually you know and it's it's that thing of you know first they what is it first they ridicule you then they argue with you and then they then they tell you you well they already knew all along that what yeah. you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah frustrating but true <laughs> mm, absolutely so where with these sort of um i guess the lobbies uh, and uh, lobbyists and so forth. Um, mm. ha- are you seeing any sort of misinformation campaigning or anything like that? Fortunately, or, or are they too busy trying to still get coal and gas extracted at the moment rather than say that that's okay? I think this is interesting. And I think we'll, we'll be able to answer that question better a little bit further down the line in the sense mm-hmm. that this is because, because it's still a fairly new conversation. Um, yeah. You know, I think we're probably yet to see the and any the sort of major resistance mm-hmm. appearing but like i said i mean i do think we have an extraordinary um we're, we're extraordinarily helped by the concept and the word itself in this mm-hmm. um oh, yeah. and and this comes back to, to to what we were talking about earlier you know we, we talked about people not wanting to publicly come out and object to it um the other side of that is that the word itself has a certain power so Mm -hmm. people have uh, an awareness that there's serious damage to nature happening in many different areas um and this word ecocide kind of brings all that together and people you know you can see people and we have it all the time we see people have this kind of clunk moment of like oh my god of course you know this is all serious harm to nature this is all ecocide and of course as soon as you get the word you have an instant moral response to it Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just the word itself creates its own momentum, mm-hmm. um, and and that uh, so, so that's really interesting, and and that I think is is working very much um, for us, um, and and I think it it also sets it apart from some of the other solutions which might be wonderful but don't have that particular element. So I mean, I'm yeah. thinking, for example, I mean, a, an easy example might be something like um, there's been a UN treaty um, that's been being discussed for some years. Um, I think it's still at its draft zero phase and it's it's on transnational corporations and mm-hmm. the you know taking responsibility for human rights if, um, violations and effects on the environment as you can see that took quite a long while for me to say it and i'm still not sure that that's the title um yeah. and it's generally referred to as the legally binding treaty which tells you absolutely zero about what it does <laughs> whereas when you talk about ecocide people go oh that ecocide thing oh my god ecocide. You know, it has its own it's so succinct yeah. that that it's easy for everybody to grasp which is fantastic which everybody needs it is good. so how how could how can we if we me, me personally my <laughs> wife everybody that we know listeners but everybody generally how can we how can we help this how can we push it forward even even quicker 
I think that, um, I mean, there are a number of actions that, that people can take. And, and we would obviously invite people to go to our website, which is stopecoside.earth, where there's a whole Act Now menu with a whole range of things that you can do. Um, and of course, this is all about, I mean, we, we are really treating this as a global conversation. Um, mm -hmm. So the more this word is being discussed and the more this concept is being discussed, the faster the political wheels move. So yeah. what we would say is, um, is talk about it, not just talk about it with your mates, talk about it with your mates, of course do that. But think strategically about, you know, where where is my voice going to reach the most people? So if you happen to, I mean, you know, it could be anything from, you know, you're a mechanic and, you know, you have a, you have a notice board that you're all exchanging things on about, you know, you mention it there, you know, you, you it, it, it could be, it could be anything. It could be, um, you know, whatever your particular network is. And we all do have networks, you know, yeah. and they can be big, they can be small and they can, and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, it doesn't appear to be directly related to, you know, to climate or to the environment, because mm -hmm. this is something that ultimately affects all of us. Yeah. So, so using the word, um, talking about it, and of course, bending the ear of elected representatives about this concept that's always yeah. ultimately going to be the goal um and but but you know the other thing is that you know we have we have for example we have an international manifesto that's been taken and uh, that's also been done more specifically in specific countries so spain and germany have already done this where they've got a, 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 they they've had the manifesto in their language and they've asked ngos and groups and and you know uh, organizations including companies to support it and that mm -hmm. then gives you something to move forward with at the government level to say you know that he, he, we've got people in support of it we do have a branch in, in australia we have a campaign team communications yeah. team in australia so we would say absolutely you know get in touch with them um but the the key you know the real the bottom line about this is is talk about it shout about it um and and you know create those opportunities for people to learn more about it because people do often have very specific questions as you've had mm -hmm. over yeah. the course of this. So we're always open to, um, you know, opportunities to, you know, address audiences and, and, and of course train people up to do that as well. So yeah, yeah that's, that's fantastic. There's it's, it's a lot of, lot of things people can do to get this out there. And I think Absolutely. that they will, cause it's so easy to grab onto. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We always ask, everybody that, that, that we interview uh, a couple of of quick questions at the end and sometimes they can lead on to other things but so understanding the climate emergency what keeps you up at night <laughs> that's interesting isn't it now when I, I mean working with something like we do which is just so massive scale mm. I couldn't possibly sleep if it was the climate crisis that kept me awake at night. I mean, it would just yeah. be, <laughs> you it's know, so because great. it's my, it's my all day, every day. I tell yeah. you what, I mean, I think if anything keeps me up at night, it's, it's, um, it's, it's usually to do with relationships. So if there's yeah. something that's not working either in the team or in my personal life, you know, where there's something that, and it's always when there's some lack of clarity or lack of transparency mm -hmm. or something feels like it's on shaky grounds or something like that. Yeah. Those are the sorts of things that, that keep me up at night because when you're, when you're working with a team and you're wanting to sort of move things forward in a coherent way, you know, that it's, you know, you've got to, it's got to, there's got to be a kind of coherence and a transparency and a, and a mutual support. So, um, and, and, and I'm glad to say that it doesn't happen often at all. Good. Um, and that I, you know, I, I'm, I feel very blessed to be able to sleep in, in almost all circumstances given the chance. <laughs> oh, that is a gift. That is a gift. <laughs> and, and believe me, with the working hours I do, I need that ability. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes you optimistic for the future uh, gosh i mean to be honest it's it's just 
it's seeing the the potential that you know all the people that we speak to you know knowing that do you know what i think one of the biggest well if not the biggest untapped resource that we have globally is the imagination and intention uh, you know combined with the skills obviously but of 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 individual people mm-hmm. i mean we 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 don't we're not really brought up in our culture. We're not educated or acculturated, if you like, to feel like we have personal agency. So yeah. people are often, um, you know, sort of say to me, well, what can I just as, you know, a little individual do? I'm like, you're not a little individual. I, I'm an individual too. Uh, I just decided that this is really important. I'm going to do this. You know, yeah. we can all make those decisions. And, you know, we had a conversation um my colleague had a conversation with a, with her brother who works in serious infrastructure, kind of substations of for electricity under the sea or one of these huge kind of pro- huge projects like that. And he had all these direct questions when she talked to him about ecocide. He had, well, what did, how is this going to affect that? What about the budgeting for this? You know, how will that work in the context of that? And it was amazing because those mm. are exactly the questions. Those are exactly the thinking exercises that everybody needs to be doing. Yeah. And it just made, I had this eureka moment listening to her talk about it because I was just like, my God, this is this incredible untapped resource of all this knowledge. All you need to do is get, is, is say to people, you know, this is the parameter that's approaching what needs addressing in your area. Yeah. And and that untapped, you know, that gives me huge hope. You know, just the knowledge that if we can unleash that, you know, there, there's there's nothing we can't do. Everything on this planet that hasn't grown out of the ground is the result of human intention. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if we all if we all get behind that, I mean, that's just an incredible you know potential, and and that and that always gives me hope. Fantastic. So, is there anything if you could ask our listeners anything to do one thing to help the planet? Um, what would it be? How could we be good? <laughs> very hard I mean, when it's you, just you, one well, well, yeah but you know what i'm gonna say i'm gonna say talk about ecocide and that's <laughs> good know, it is and, it is and, what and, they need to do you know and, and 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 say that it's time that this was made a crime yeah that's that's yeah. what i would say <laughs> fantastic thank you very much i'm very conscious that you're extremely busy and you have other other meetings to go to and thank you very very much for your time oh it's been an absolute pleasure it's been a delight speaking with you thank you So that was Jojo, and it was such a pleasure to have her on the show. And we did discuss after off of there that we will try and get Jojo on again. There's so much to talk about. There's so many more questions that that I had, and I'm sure many more questions that you guys have had, but also to keep an update on where this is going, how the the new law um, is going, and the effects that it could have globally. Obviously, as you probably well aware, it is an enormous thing. Um, if we get this law passed, and I would really like you to go onto their website as well, um, stopecoside.earth, I think it is, but I'll check it in the show notes, and go on and sign their petition. Make your voice heard. It's really quick, really simple. But also keep the conversation going. Keep the word ecocide in people's mind. So it doesn't give the opportunity for key people in large businesses or, or governments or so forth to think that, oh, we can get away with it. We can, we can, we can pay our insurance and it'll cover any issues and things like that. All of a sudden they could become liable. It's, I see it as being one of the biggest things to to stop the plundering of our planet 
and our environment and to give us some hope that things will change. And even before the law comes in place, and I'm sure it will, I'm sure they're going to get this this passed, but the thought that people will be held to account for this, I think is is going to make people think twice before they do anything to plunder the earth and the environment anymore. Anyway, so thanks for listeners listening to us, should I say. We, as ever, are self-funded, and it would be great if you could help us out. Um, go to our Patreon page or go to our website, and that's got a link to it there. The website is www.howtobegood.com.au. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.